Hey, this is Thinking and Drinking. I'm your host, Bart Almond. Over the last 30 years or so, I've worked for major record companies, working with major artists such as Alabama, the Dixie Chicks, and the Florida Georgia Line. I've also been writing songs for the past 15 years, have over 50 cuts, two number ones, and made a lot of friends along the way. I'm going to be talking to some of those friends about songs, life on the road, and just life in general. I hope you have as much fun as I will. Hey, hey, thanks again for tuning in to some thinking and drinking. Talking today to Andrew Fromm. But first, special thanks to Cathead Vodka for making fine, fine vodka and their continuing love of live music. Catheaddistillery.com and Cathead Vodka on Instagram. And if you like this podcast, please subscribe and give us five stars. Thanks. Andrew Fromm went from writing massive pop songs to advising on the buying and selling of song catalogs. He's a great guy, a great writer, and I'm sure you're going to learn something today. I know I did. Here's Andrew Fromm. All right. Andrew Fromm, how are you, man? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm good. Look, I spoke all close to the mic as if I never spoke into a microphone before. I can already tell the professionalism in the room is through the roof. I could be like, hi, how are you? <laughs> well, dude, first of all, thank you for doing this. I appreciate your time. My pleasure. I like your house. I just went from New York to, to, to Redneck. My pleasure, little buddy. My pleasure. Well, you've had a couple of cuts in your life. Mark Anthony, just to name a few here. Mark Anthony, Westlife, Francesca Battistelli, Selena Gomez, NSYNC, Jesse McCartney, Smash Mouth, and this little band called Backstreet Boys that, uh, what, sold 25 million records of I Need You? Is that right? I think the, la- the latest tally on the Millennium album was about 28 million worldwide. 28? And it was nominated for five Grammys? I think so. I remember the exact number, but I think we lost. I think they lost to, uh, you know, I forget. I don't remember. It was so long ago, man. That album came out in May of 99. Man. Which is crazy that it was that long ago. Did you have your publishing on that? I did. Nice. Uh, I, I, well, I had a co-publisher. Yeah. Um, Zomba Music. Oh, okay. Um, I had a song, a 100% song and a half a song. Uh, one, the 100% song was I Need You Tonight, which was produced by... Mutt Lang. Okay. And then uh, the half a song was uh, Spanish Eyes, which I wrote with my cousin, who's a legendary songwriter, who wrote uh, a lot of the Frankie Valley hits. Really? Yeah, he wrote Working My Way Back to You. And, wow. And She's Fresh. And I Believe in You and Me. He's, a, he's had a tremendous career over What's the last- What's his name? Sandy Linzer. Okay. Wow. So how do, how do you get a song like that? To the Backridge, I mean, what's the, what's the, what's Backridge Boys? I'm thinking, <laughs> you just combined Oak Ridge Boys and the Backstreet Boys. <laughs> no, I, I basically, um, you know, I, I literally could pinpoint to one specific night that I decided to go out that changed the course of my life. Mm-hmm. Do you ever see the movie Mr. Destiny with Belushi? Yes. So do you remember how he hit the home run? If he didn't hit the home run, his life would have went a completely different direction. Yeah. My life literally can be pinned okay. to one night, and it was a decision to go watch a friend of mine perform in New York City. Um, I had worked a double. I was working at TGI Fridays, nice. and I was tired, but something made me go, and I was just like, you know what? I'm going to go out, and uh, I went out that first night. That, well, I went out that night, and he was a Jewish rapper, 
and he was doing and and he was doing it was a place called Honeysuckles in New York City. I was living in Jersey, which is where I grew up. Yeah, and and he he was performing, and I was standing there, and I remember I dressed kind of like hip hop with baggy clothes mm-hmm. at the time, and that wasn't me, but I knew I was going to a hip hop club, so I figured <laughs> I'd try to fit in, <laughs> and um and and uh. I was standing up against the wall, just hanging out, waiting for my friend to perform with a buddy of mine. And a guy came up to me, he happened to be standing right by me. And he's like, do you rap? <laughs> and I was like, no, but I sing. Um, and he was like, really sing something for me. And I sang for him on the spot. And he was like, he's like, you're good. You should come try out for our show. And I'm like, what show is that? And he gave me his card and it's a casting director of Star Search. Oh, man. So um, I tried out amongst at the time 40,000 people throughout the country tried out for that show and it was the last season Ed McMahon okay. did it and uh I wound up making it on the show uh I sang an original song and I lost to the girl who won the whole thing yeah. <laughs> so course. I went up against the champ right. <laughs> who's amazing by the way but um and from there uh I started doing so uh, from after star search I'm cutting a lot of things out just to make it yeah, yeah. simpler. Um, uh, wound up doing open mic nights in New York City for that casting director. And his name was Patrick Allen. Okay. I always give my boy a shout out. <laughs> and um, he was doing an incredible uh, open mic night with a, with a house band. And they would, have, they would feed showcase singers. And I used to go up and sing this one song almost every single week. Uh, for about three and a half years, I paid my dues doing those shows. Wow. And... Um, that, that same song is the, so, uh, well, let me backtrack. So I met my friend, Samantha Cole, who had a big, uh, she had a big record deal with EMI. Uh, sorry. She was signed as a writer to EMI and Doug Morris signed her to, okay. to, to Universal when Universal first formed. Oh, it became, okay. it, remember when it merged from Polygram MCA and it merged into becoming Universal yep. Music. So she was the first big signing for them. And, uh, so she had a huge party at this condo right by radio city music hall on a place called Olympic tower. And her friend owned a condo up there and he let her throw her birthday party. And I'll never forget. It was two weeks, two weeks after my grandmother passed away. Um, my grandmother passed away October 16th, 1996 and October 30th, 1996 is when her party was. And I was about to give up music, my pursuit, pursuing, pursuing music. And it's always that pivotal moment, right? Where you're like, I'm going to give up and everything changes. It's almost like God's way of saying, this is what you're supposed to be doing. You're on the right path. Um, And I was at her party and all the big record executives are in the room. There was a white grand piano in the corner and I played the song. I need you tonight, which originally was called heaven in your eyes. Okay. Um, and I sang it and I remember leaving for about 30 minutes to go with, I think it was one of her friends or one of our mutual friends who wound up going out cause he wanted to smoke a cigarette. I never smoked, but I went out, hung out, came back and there was a, a guy from jive records named Dave McPherson who said, Andrew, that song that you just sang, I think would be perfect for this group called the Backstreet Boys. And I'm like, I have no idea who they are because right. no one knew who they were in the U.S. yet. And he said, well, they sold six million albums in Europe. I said, I'm listening. Yeah. <laughs> and that kind of started my, you know, I met the guys in the studio when they were cutting the U.S. version of, 
of their album, which ultimately wound up going on to sell, you know, 14 million albums. And they offered me a publishing deal with Zomba, which was the parent company of Jive, which is the label that they were on. So when you wrote this, you didn't have a publishing deal? No. Okay. No. Yeah, this was way before. I wrote it when I was 18 and heartbroken. (laughs) (laughs) It's usually the case, right? (laughs) So, um, yeah, so I, I, I... you know, and then they, they put me in the studio with Mutt. I played piano on my song. And, Did you really? Yeah. And, That's and, very cool. You know, so after doing the same song for three and a half years, you, the song wound yeah. up founding its path, and that kind of helped me become a professional songwriter at the time. So you also did, I mean, I was looking at your all music thing. You did also BGVs on a bunch of stuff. Mm-hmm. Did that help springboard you? Cause I mean, you did Britney Spears and all sorts of people. I mean, did you, did you sing on that as well as play? I, d- I didn't on the Backstreet Boys okay. one. Um, but I, you know, I've always wanted to be an artist back then. Yeah. And I think I in, internally knew inside that I didn't necessarily have that it factor that I know I look for now in others. Right. Um, you know, and I think inside you, you have to kind of almost have lived life. Um, and you know, most people who become successful in music, I've found you have to have a little dirt in the background or yeah. something that needs to drive them that really has like a underlying motivating factor of why yeah. they would want to put themselves on stage as much as they do. I totally agree. You know, and yeah. you have to be, you have to have a certain level of confidence and not caring about what other people think about you. And there's certain people who can do that well and so certain ones that don't necessarily. Yeah. But like you say about heartbroken, I, I, I'm sure you run into this <clears throat> as well. You, all these young people that want to write and it's mm-hmm. like, you haven't even had a real heartbreak yet. Yeah. How can you write about that? Yeah. Cause Some, I totally agree with you. You have to, you have to have a little life in you before you can talk about it. Yeah. And then you get people who are just so forward thinking and prolific, like Taylor Swift, when she yeah. was young, oh, yeah. she was able to foresee a lot of these, yeah. you know, but, and tell it in a way that appealed to the younger, exactly. you know, younger generation at the time. Yeah. You know, when she first came out, it was pretty incredible. She's very yeah. prolific. And, and she's also, one of the few, I think, that is able to grow up and stay age appropriate, mm-hmm. but still not leave her younger fans behind. Yeah. That's hard to do, man. No, I know. It's hard to do. So did you ever try to get a record deal or did you just think about it or just... I came close a couple different times throughout my career, but, you know, I, you know, I, I got thrusted into songwriting quite a bit and kind of ran with what was working. Yeah. You know, a lot of times you got to know what you're good at sure, and, 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 and roll with that. And then if it leads you to where, you know, I'm all about destiny driving you where you're supposed to go yeah. um, and drive. You have to have to have an, a, a, a drive, you know, and I think, you know, even growing up in high school, you know, I used to sing at like the house parties. If there was a piano there, I was singing Richard yeah. Marks or journey or something. <laughs> so I, um, which is ironic because when I first met Nick Carter, it was at the studio at Battery Studios in New York City, okay. and one of his biggest influences was Journey in Chicago. Oh, yeah. So he just loved Journey in Chicago, and I'm like, that's funny, because you, you guys are going to record this song that was kind of influenced by Richard Marks in yeah, Chicago. I could totally see um, that. You know, Chicago, like when, the, when Peter Cetera Peter was Cetera. in Chicago. Yep. Not the earlier stuff. It was a little too jazzy for what it is. I yeah. do, or was, was was inspired by. Not that, that that's a bad thing because they were incredible. Hey man, but. absolutely. But there's another band that grew a little bit as they got older. I like the sappy ballads. That's, oh, me that's, too. That was my thing, and the melodies that were written in that era was yeah. were incredible. 
<laughs> so were you, did, did how long? Okay, after this happened and you got Zamba, how long did it take before you moved to Nashville? Did you stay up there and write? So I first came to Nashville in 1999. Okay, right around that. So time. right around the time. Okay. Um, and matter of fact, when I first came to town, I stayed with Frank Myers, who wrote my you know some oh, of yeah. my favorite songs, and yeah. Gary Baker. Uh, we wound up, <laughs> so this is a great story. I wound up coming to town, stayed with Frank and his family, wound up getting together with Gary. And the first thing we did was getting a, getting a, a, a I think it was Frank's conversion van at the time. Okay. <laughs> it was like Cheech and Chong, right? <laughs> and we, and we, we drove. But it was cigar smoke. Yeah. With those guys. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. So, so we drove down. To, to to Florida to Frank's condo in Destin. Okay. And we stayed in the condo and the first thing we did was all hang out with with uh, with cigars and everything in the jacuzzi overlooking the ocean and I'm like this is how we write songs in Nashville this is fantastic yeah. <laughs> you know. Um, I could be here by Monday. <laughs> yeah. So so I I uh I basically um we we did that and strangely enough that was the day that I got the call because I remember we were driving. We were driving golf balls, right? This is we didn't even write a song yet until that evening. Oh yeah. Right? But I remember we were driving golf balls, and I got the call from the Jive Records executive telling me that I got Spanish Eyes on the Millennium album. Man. I, and and I'll never forget that I threw the golf club up in the air. Luckily, it didn't hit anybody right. when it landed. But <laughs> it was a it was a it was a surreal moment, yeah. you know. Because at that point, I was like, "Oh, they're going to go to Diane Warren or some of these big big writers." Right. But um, you know, thankfully, I wound up with two on that record somehow. It was a it was an un, unprecedented time because their first album was um, their first album. You know, was already tremendous. They were on top of the world at that point. Yeah. And, you know, the second album, English, English, the second U.S. release was Millennium. And there's actually an interesting little caveat that I thought was remarkable from a music business standpoint. Clive Calder, the CEO, striped four songs of the new upcoming Back, uh, Backstreet Boys record, the Millennium album. Uh, four snippets of that song were secretly striped onto Britney Spears' first release Really? Yep. So all the Backstreet Boys fans went out to go listen to those snippets that were striped onto her CD, Baby One More Time CD. So was she on Jive too? She was. So that was a nice little marketing thing. Yeah, that's freaking awesome. So the first quarter million copies of Baby One More Time had those four secret snippets on. They weren't listed anywhere. They were part of the promotion of Britney Spears. Gosh, that's freaking smart. So so my song, uh, I Need You Tonight, was one of the snippets okay. on that album. Did you get paid for those? No. No. That's promotion. <laughs> <Right>. I wish. Yeah. <laughs> that would have been cool. <laughs> <laughs> Man. Yeah, so that's so Millennium those were your first two cuts? First two cuts was were a hundred so a full song and a half cut on on a twenty eight million selling Man. album. It was unbelievable time to be in the music industry because you know, the entire middle class of the industry was able to prosper. I never had Absolutely, a hit. Yeah. Thank you, Max Martin. He was unbelievable that his mm. songs were those song, the four songs that were released were all his. And that was an unbelievable um, time 
because he was he was just on top of the game, man. Still is to this day. Well, you could still make a nice living getting cuts. Yeah. So so he had all the singles. Yeah. But I was a B cut guy. You know, I call, always called myself. I'm like the king of B cuts. I've been on 50 million <laughs> albums, and and they've all been like B cuts. Right. But I'm okay with that. I'm yeah. not. You know, I'm not complaining. I've had a, a blessed career. And, yeah. You know, it's 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 been a it's been an amazing ride, and I've learned a lot and and experienced a lot. Oh and, man. And it's. You know, you know, it's interesting these days when streaming is taking over everything and, you know, it's, it's hard to, you know, to get those plaques on the walls way harder than it was than, then, you know, but, um, but yeah, it's, 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 you know, I I love, you know, I love that I was able to make a living for a long time being a songwriter, just getting on records. Absolutely. Yeah. I think I got my last platinum plaque. Last year, it's mm-hmm. like, yeah, it's probably the last one of those is going to happen. It's hard to get now, man. <laughs> Nobody sells a million copies. No. You know? And no, they'll sell a million downloads or whatever. But yeah. but that's one song. Yep. Not the whole the whole album. Yeah, it's interesting because right now people don't realize this, but the entire middle class of the music industry, right? The guys who were the B cut guys. Mm-hmm. You know, you had to go buy a record because of a hit song. Yeah. And. You know, the all it really supported a lot of middle class songwriters. Oh man, you know? yeah. That's kind of who I was. I was a middle class songwriter. Yeah. You know, and the you know that uh, that wound up is literally supporting a lot of families. And nowadays, you can't do that. Mm. It's all about that single. You know. No, when I got my first publishing deal, I was told there are less. No. Yeah, less people. Like with actual publishing deals, writing songs, making a living, getting an advance, doing mm-hmm. demos, real songwriters, there's less of those than there are NFL football players. Oh, yeah. And now it's way less than that. There's 85% songwriter, less songwriters in Nashville, I think, right now on the, on the you know, on when I wouldn't you look at the macro at picture of songwriters. Yeah. It's, it's really taken its toll on us, you know, hmm. unfortunately. You think it'll ever come back? Um. As they re-engineer the royalty structures, yeah, maybe. Um, you know, there's a lot of drama in that in in that whole op, you know how things are engineered right now yeah. uh, on on streaming and the, the 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 tiny amount of royalties we make from streaming. Well, um, you want yeah, you want to talk about that? Yeah, it's you know, I, I you know most of my royalties are still coming from. Yeah, it's not from streaming. You know, I see like Francesca Battistelli, for example. You know that that was a you know knock on wood. You know, not not knock on wood. That was a really great, successful song that I'm very proud of. Yeah, co-writing with Franny and Ian, and I I just you know I think I saw a million spins on on Spotify, and it was like pitiful money, man. Yeah, and I'm thinking, wow, if that was a million plays on the radio it'd be you know a lot more money yeah. you know and and you know not even enough to buy like a pizza no. you know it's and, and when you really think about that on on a, on a macro level it's it's really sad that it's come down to that and you know i think this increase was going to help it would have been a step in the right direction if these other mega companies are tra- you know they're appealing it right now yeah you know you have google and 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 spotify and pandora you know these mega distribution centers of music are 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 really you know they're trying to 
derail our, our the momentum that we've built in, in with the government to try to over you know look so, some of these laws were put together 110 years ago man yeah I know. like you know it's like how do you not expect to pay more for things like yeah. it's, you know these these companies need to understand they made they've made themselves into mega billion dollar companies yeah. off of our creations yeah and that's just it's wrong it's 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 on a on a on a heart you know on a on a a granular level it's just really difficult to to comprehend that you know it's funny some of the guys friends of ours that were in washington lobbying for all of this stuff they said senators and congressmen and whoever were completely ignorant and they thought you know we're making you know you must make like what 50 cents every time a song gets played or just like it's like point zero 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 five royalty rate is still based you know in the 50s a loaf of bread was a penny and now it's six bucks or whatever it's like but our songs stayed the same see it's interesting i've maintained this still and people aren't talking about it as much there's still pirating going on in our industry yeah people are still stealing music man that yeah. hasn't stopped so we're competing with free yeah. Right. Right. So, so you know, the tech companies are like, well, at least you're getting something for it, you know, and that's just it's still not cool. It yeah. shouldn't be that. Way. You know, we shouldn't devalue music based on competing with free. What other business you know? is there where somebody pats you on the back and goes, well, at least you're getting something for it? Yeah. Yeah. You know? Exactly. I mean, there's no other business in the world that is okay with that. Yeah. To me, it's just look. There's value in creating something, and we should get a fair compensation. You know, we're one of the few industries that are controlled. The government controls what we make. Yeah. There's not very That's a many really good industries point. that that are controlled by what the government tells you you're going to make. Yeah. So think about that, right? You know, <laughs> it's not collusion or anything yeah, else. Exactly. It's just the way <laughs> it's, it's always been. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, are you? So you are hopeful that that'll get, you know, corrected. I, I really, I wish I had a crystal ball. To yeah. be honest with you, I don't know what's going to happen. You know, these companies are so powerful and yeah. have so much money to lobby for what their beliefs are that I, I don't know if it's some, look. We've spent tens of millions of dollars and years and years and years of research and panels and everything in between. And we finally got it through thinking we got it through, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Dude. And, People were throwing babies in the air. And, it was and, crazy. And now you have these mega companies who built mega brands off of our music. Yeah. You know, it's, it's kind of like we're biting the hand that was feeding us, yeah. even if it was feeding us little tiny bits of it, you know? And it, it just it concerns me. I don't really know what's going to happen, you know? How – but also, all those companies came together at the same time to do this lawsuit. It was the last minute. Yeah. It was so, the last minute. They literally came down to the last day that they were able to file an appeal. Yeah. And now they're filing the appeal. And they're doing and, it all together at yep, the same time. Collectively. So yeah. you don't just have Google to fight. You right. have Google, Pandora, Spotify. You know, Spotify, and everybody else. The only two who stayed out... You know, which is fantastic. They're the only one that, well, I pay for Apple Music. That's yeah. the only one I pay for. They pay a little bit more on a royalty level than Spotify. They're still not great, yeah. but they pay a little bit more. Um, I think when you break, break down the amount that these companies pay per stream. Yeah. Um, you know, and the other issue is you have record labels out there that take the lion's share of what the streaming royalties are making, <sighs> you know? And, you know, yeah. I don't want to knock the labels because we need the labels, sure. obviously, because they're promoting music. But, you know, that, that's an issue into itself. They're taking, 
you know, what, 50% of, of the streaming revenues that come in go to the master holder. Yeah. And, you know, and that's an interesting thing now. You know, I've heard from some of my Latin music friends that in the Latin world, I think everyone's, they're not even arguing over publishing splits. Every, even the songwriters are like, look, we want a percentage of the master because we know that's where the money's coming in. That's interesting. Yeah, it's like it's it's become like a, a, a thing now where everybody's fighting over a masterpiece because they know that's where the royalties are yeah. coming from, from from streaming. Hmm. Which is, you know, it complicates things, <laughs> you know. But that's why there's independent artists, you know, that are making a considerable amount of money doing covers. They own the master of the cover. Oh, right. So think about that. You go cover Fire and Rain by James Taylor, and it's unique, and you get millions of views. Yeah. Or millions of streams on it, you're going to get a considerable amount of money owning fifty percent of that master you recording get it of that placed song. in a TV show or something. And yep, and James Taylor's making, you know, pence off of it. Yeah, you know? <laughs> pence. Yeah, <laughs> that was very British of me. <laughs> Strangely enough, the name of my chiropractor too. <laughs> well, um, the, how do you write pop music? I mean, is it? Is it the same way we write country stuff? Do you write any country stuff? You know, I've I've, I've I know tried you've with country writers. So I yeah. came to town in '99 with the intention of when I come to Nashville, let's write country. Right. If I invest my money into traveling down here to write on your turf, right. let's try to write a country song. <laughs> um, and then uh, and then when they come up to me when I was living in New Jersey, Dude. you know, I was like, we'll write pop music. Yep. You know. Um, so that's kind of the way I tried to do it. Yeah. Everyone has their own way of going about that, um, and uh, you know that I, I've always str- look a, gr- a good songwriter will really understand what their strengths and weaknesses are and yeah. find people to plug into those weaknesses. Right? I've never been a real strong lyric guy, mm-hmm. I'm, and one of the reasons why I love Nashville is because it's a story town, sure. and people are so gifted with the, the ability to create really meaningful lyrics. Here. Yeah, and. You know, I wrote my first song when I was 18 and heartbroken, and the lyrics just kind of found themselves onto the paper uh, off of a heartbreak. But, um, you know, so, and, you know, the interesting thing is that there's a lot of country writers who can't really write pop because they don't necessarily know the lingo in pop music. Yeah, absolutely. So it's a very fine line between the two. And it's funny because when you get a country, people think it's a country song from outside of Nashville when you've lived here. Now I've been living here 12 years. Yeah. It's like, man, they need to, they need to be on, they need to live off the grass a little bit more to understand, yeah. Yeah. you know, what to write about because this isn't country. No. Know? I mean, even using the same track guys or whatever yep. technology, whatever you want to say, yeah, it's still. There's still a craft that has to really, yeah. you have to really understand how to write a crafty country lyric to really yeah. make for it to stand out in a country country. So uh, you were chart. a music melody guy. I've always been a music melody guy. I play yeah. piano, I sing, and I've I've always uh, uh, come up with strong melodies. My melodies throughout the years were a bit more rhythmic mm-hmm. um, in nature, um, and and uh, you know, driven by the piano and what I'll play on the piano. Sometimes the melody gets found on the piano. Right. Um, kind of. I think Tom Douglas writes similar mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. Um, you know, and sometimes the music, just the melody will start, I'll start on a, on a note that's part of that chord in a weird way and I'll find my way around it. Yeah. Um, but I, I think for, for many years that wasn't the case in country music. They didn't want rhythmic. They wanted longer notes. I think these days 
are, are a bit more tailored to what it is I probably bring to the table in country. Yeah. Um, because you got Florida Georgia line who adds a little bit of a, a, uh, a, a, a syncopated Absolutely. Um, staccato thing yeah. in a lot of their music. I might be able to kind of contribute, yeah. but I'm not really writing as much anymore. So it's, it's, it's not really my, my focus. Did you ever write with track guys and stuff? Oh uh, yeah, over yeah. A lot. Was that yeah. here? Or was that up there? Was that everywhere? It was everywhere. Yeah. You know, there were track guys here for a while. They just weren't getting as much attention. Now it's what everybody wants. Yeah. You know, they want a pop track with country lyrics and country overlays. Absolutely. You know? Throw a steel steel guitar or something with the dobro <laughs> somewhere mixed in there somewhere and with a with a pop track. It's in the back, but it's there. Yeah. So I was interested to find out that in, and I could be wrong. I've been wrong many times, but in 2011, you were in the Red Book Hottest Husband contest. <laughs> that's that's what happens when your wife is in PR. Right, she she was in uh, PR and she submitted me, and I didn't even know she did that. That's awesome. And uh, and they selected me. I don't know why. I'm a total dork, but you know it was fun. It's bragging rights for about three minutes. Did you? I don't see a plaque or anything. Definitely no plaque with that in my house. <laughs> did you win? I didn't win. You didn't win. No, unfortunately, I didn't win. Actually, I should say, fortunately, I didn't win. Yeah. <laughs> Well, let's talk. You say you don't write as much as you used to. Mm-hmm. You have a company called From Consulting mm-hmm. LLC. Mm-hmm. Can you kind of tell us what you do with that? So about 10 years ago, um, I met a legendary manager uh, named Joe Boyland, who managed uh, Van Zant, and uh, basically, I think he discovered the Judds. Mm-hmm. Uh, he and his buddy was, he was visiting his buddy in the hospital, and Naomi Judd was a nurse. Oh, I think wow. the story okay. goes, and she was giving out her tape and, <laughs> you know, and anyway, um, he was a legendary manager who also understood publishing to the, to a, a higher degree than most people did. Yeah. And he published actually Robert Johnson, uh, who wrote, where does my heart beat now for Celine Dion? Wow. Um, and Joe wound up, uh, you know, he wound up kind of teaching me the ropes on how to consult on these publishing acquisitions. Mm-hmm. And we, uh, for about two years, um, I was introduced to him as a guy who just wrote in every genre and had a lot of relationships. And I wound up pulling some significant catalogs to the table for him, for us to really peruse and, and, and prepare to sell. So fast forward, um, about two and a half years into our friendship, he had heart problems before, mm. but he unfortunately passed away in the middle of the first deal we were closing. Mm. Um, and it was a very sad because I, I mean, I spent a lot, a lot of time with him. Yeah. And I was going to stop after that until one of my buyer, one of the buyers wound up reaching out to me and saying, Hey, if you ever get anything, just bring it to us directly. We know you're the guy bringing Joe all of these catalogs. Wow. So, um, so that kind of started my career in consulting on a lot of these catalogs. Um, and, you know, to date, uh, I can actually say that I've, I've worked on about $150 million of worth of transactions, Man. which is unprecedented. And I had no idea it would grow into what it's grown into. Yeah. And I've had the pleasure of representing some unbelievable songs. Yeah. Uh, you know, like, you know, I, I worked on the Timbaland acquisition so i can i can actually say to somebody that i sold sexy back 
<laughs> which I love to <laughs> say all the time. And, um, you know, I worked on uh, 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 Corey Rooney, sold a, a bunch of, of his catalog, which included a lot of the Mark Anthony and Jennifer Lopez hits. And uh, there's uh, other ones that I've, I, I'm under, under, under NDAs, so I can't really disclose. Yeah, yeah. But, um, but, yeah, there's been an unbelievable, you know, I worked on Wayne Kirkpatrick. Oh wow! He's a buddy of mine, and and he wrote "Change the World," so we yeah. sold part of that. And Gordon Kennedy's a friend of mine, mm-hmm. and it was. Uh, I worked on Dan Hill last year. Oh wow! So sometimes when we touch, yeah, yeah, and uh, worked on all about that bass and the other four Megan Trainer hits that Kevin Kadish did. I worked on, and it's 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 been a you know incredible ride, and I've, I'm basically working with my friends to help you know help them get a check. Yeah, you know, and. I contribute in different ways, various components. Sometimes there's a going forward arrangement. You know, sometimes there's not. It's, it's everyone has a different motivating factor yeah. on why they're selling and why they might, you know, want to do that. So. Why would somebody buy catalogs of huge hits? Is it to re-record them? Is it to place them in TV and movies? Is it all of the above? <clears throat> all of these companies have different agendas. Mm-hmm. Some of them are trying to build just an annuity. Yeah, um, you know they structure it on, a, on an annuity okay. level where they're just going to get royalties from going forward, and hopefully your projections are right. Yeah, um, others buy it to find further uh, exploitations for the copyrights. Yeah. If the administration comes with, then you have control. Yeah, um, some buy them because a lot of catalogs are mismanaged. Um, you know, if you think about it, there's, you know, if you if you have a worldwide hit. Chances are it was misregistered somewhere along the line. Sure, yeah. And, and there's probably mismanaged catalogs out there. And, you know, I think we, you know, a lot of people don't realize that. And, and you know, what, what I do is I basically help them uh, put together a deal up to that point in their career. And then, you know, then, and then they do a going forward deal with somebody else or however they want to, you know, yeah. continue onward. But I always say sell the old, keep the new, mm-hmm. you know. The best time to really sell, in my opinion, if you're going to sell assets, is when it's coming off of when you get the boatload of money right. during, yeah. during its success period. So, um, but everyone has a different, you know, approach to that. So you probably write with or work with writers, artists, lawyers, managers, publishers, business managers. You, yeah. you name it. Um, it's there are a lot of people to to help facilitate these transactions. Um, and you know, thankfully there's a lot of good lawyers out there that, that represent their clients. Well, um, my angle is I give, you know, I give people a full scope, you know, because all I do every day of my life is, is find, you know, my goal is to maximize the full market scope to the value of what a catalog is. Sure. I basically, you know, I go to 70 people that I have lined up buyers of all different backgrounds that are looking to buy music publishing assets. And, uh, you know, a lot of attorneys go to about five or 10 buyers. I want to give full market scope. Yeah. So, um, that's something I bring to the table because I do this every day. And most attorneys, music industry attorneys don't do this every day. Sure. Yeah. So they're doing contracts, publishing doing deals, publishing deals, record deals, record deals whatever, management yeah. deals. I, this is all I do. Yeah. So, so you talk about projections. How do you, what's a, 30-second way. To, how do you do projections? Is it totally just based? I mean, I don't even know. Um, well, proje- my job is not to basically do the projection. Okay. 
uh, that's up to the buyer. Okay. Um, I, my job is to prepare, you know, with my team, I have right. analysts who work with me. Yeah. Um, and, uh, we basically build a schedule okay. of, of what the songs have been doing and, and, and present that accordingly hmm. and highlight obviously the, the, the top earners, et cetera. Yeah. And that is how, how much a catalog is worth is figured out. Yeah. 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 And whoever winds up giving us the best deal doesn't right. necessarily mean the most amount, you know, if yeah. you're keeping your writer shares, right. You don't want to just sell it to anybody who's going to give you the biggest check. You want someone who's going to work it. You're keeping a piece of it. Yeah. Now, if you're selling everything, you want the biggest check. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, um, if you had a catalog to sell, what would your first step be? I mean, find you, find your attorney, find me. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And then, uh, we have a discussion of what they, they're interested in selling. And then I'll basically, you know, I formally get an exclusive to represent that client. Right. And then we discuss with the attorney what, what's able to be sold, what's not able to be sold. Uh, some catalogs are cross-collateralized into existing publishing arrangements. Yeah. That complicates things. But, you know, those you can't sell. If you have a balance that's bigger than your catalog's value, then – you know, you need to, you need to know that yeah. <laughs> Obviously, there's not a deal to be done. So you might um, take somebody, say I came to you, I've got five different catalogs. You might look at everything and go, okay, we can sell these three, but these two aren't even worth touching. Yeah. It depends yeah. on the earnings. You know, I usually like to maintain, you know, a minimum earning threshold to sure. represent because it takes a lot of time and energy to get yeah. these things to the finish line. And your contacts and everything else is, is worth a lot. Yeah. It's, that's what I take pride in the most. And and it, it frustrates me when I hear that uh, certain buyers that I might have weren't uh, didn't get a catalog to look at and it sold. Wow, um, yeah. It frustrates me because and those are people that may have paid more for that asset. Right. Um, so the one thing I've always taken pride in is when I represent, I put my sleep, I put my my head down to sleep at night, knowing that everyone got to see it. That's interested in buying those catalogs. Right. In, in the marketplace at that point in time. Yeah. That's awesome, man. Well, um, you also are part of a, uh, a restaurant <laughs> that we both know and love. <laughs> we should have done this there in that back room. <laughs> Little stout burger action. I'm a yeah. big fan. I'm a big fan. Are you enjoying being involved in that? Is it, you know, it's, it's, it's really, um, something, it's, different. it's a fascinating yeah. business. Um, you know, everybody's always scared about it on an investment level, but look, when you can eat your investment, that's a pretty awesome Dude. scenario, <laughs> you know, eating a lot of burgers yeah. up in here, you know, <laughs> and, uh, you know, I loved their product is really awesome as you can attest. Yes, indeed. You know, brisket and chuck combination is the only way to make a hamburger Dude. and they grind the meat on the premises, which is well, awesome. Yeah. Know? And, and delicious and awesome. You know, we have, we have high level uh, ingredients that we use on our, on our product that not very many people use yeah. you know, like smoked mozzarella and, you know, and, and, uh, crispy bruschetto. And see, this is and, why we should have done this there. Yeah. Cause then we, we could have just went stuff in our face. <laughs> yeah. We'd be talking like this. <laughs> Don't talk with your mouth full. And, and, and we make it. our sauces on the premises, which makes us a bit more unique too. We yeah. Have, no jar. We don't have jar sauces in our right. place. It's awesome, so, man. Yeah, and it's doing, you know, the one, the original one in Hollywood's been there 10 years, you know, 
It's pretty awesome for a restaurant in the middle of like the vegan capital of the world. <laughs> you had a burger restaurant flourishing, really, you know, doing really well in the heart of Hollywood. So it's probably the stout burger that has the most Ferraris and Lambos parked around it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, what's your favorite song you've ever written? Big hit, never been cut, whatever. It doesn't even matter. You know, it's funny. There's a couple of songs that I just pitched for some things not long ago. Um, that I still, even though they're old sounding demos, mm-hmm. they're still great songs. Um, it, it's hard to, it's like kind of asking a family to pick your best child. Yeah. You know, it's like, you know, you have four kids. Which, who's your favorite? Well, you know it, which one is not your favorite. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. <laughs> you know, thankfully we only have one to choose from, so exactly. I could say he's my favorite. He's <laughs> everybody's favorite. But no, I'm, it's hard to really know. You know, yeah. I, I, I'll always have a... You know, the interesting thing is I sold my publishing uh, on those cat- on my catalog. Yeah. Um, did you do the deal? Uh, I did. I brokered my own. Yeah. Not brokered, but I consulted on right. my own consulted, asset. Consulted, yes. And um, I, uh, you know, I kept my writer's share as a performance, which I still collect a check from. Looking back, knowing what it earns now, I should have probably sold it then. But really? it's okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it is what it is. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, uh, you know, the interesting thing is, is when you sell your catalog, uh, there's a big tax benefit in doing so. And a lot of people underestimate the value of that. You know, when you sell your catalog, you basically pay a 20% capital gains tax, which NSAI, uh, fought for, for songwriters, uh, to basically be tied to the capital gains tax. Oh, okay. And you, you, you pay 20% capital gains on the sale plus state. So nice to live in Nashville yeah. because we don't pay state income tax. Yeah. Um, so you're only basically paying 20% of the, so if you make a cat, if you have a catalog that's earning a hundred thousand dollars a year, right? You're paying ordinary income tax on that. Right. If you sell it for a million, let's say 10 X for simple math. Yeah. Um, you're only having to pay 200,000 in, in tax on it. So you wind up walking away with 800,000 net. That's pretty awesome. So bad. even though you're getting a 10x, you really looks like you're getting an 11 or 12x. Can you explain multiples real quick? Uh, a multiple is off a net publisher share. Okay. That's what um, you're talking 10x, yes. 11x. Yeah. Yeah. So, so basically your average earnings over the last three years, if you really want to make simple, um, there's a lot of variables. You yeah. Know, if, if you have $100,000 a year and you're earning 50 grand because you got a Ford commercial, right. it's a one-time payment. That's not recurring revenue. So you know, naturally, someone's going to discount that going yeah. forward. Um, so, uh, yeah, but multiples are, are – that's when people say multiples, people don't realize that the multiple is generally not made off of the last three years. It's made off of what it's projected to do. Mm. So if they think they're gonna, it's going to deteriorate – you know, 90,000, 80,000, 70,000 yeah. over the next three years, right? A lot of, some of them go out seven years and then they do an average and they give you a multiple off of that number. Okay. Um, that's technically what the, the defining term of what a multiple is. Okay. Most people think, well, I just made half a million bucks yeah. the last 12 months. Okay. Well, that was off of something that came out last year. Yeah. You're not going to get a number you know, a big number off of that half a million dollars. Man, I've tried, and I'm sure you have too, tried to tell young writers, 
yeah, you just got a $90,000 check. You may never get another one like that. So be careful with your money and understand that it, it's a gigantic lifelong roller coaster. Well, ride. and it's genre specific. Country music, obviously, most country songs, you have a, a two to three quarter bump in significant yeah. earnings and then it drops off a cliff because there's it's domestically consumed, mm-hmm. right? Pop global hits, you get money from different parts of the world if it's a global song, yeah. you're going to get money that comes in from Japan two years from now. Right. Or, or France, it might come in you know, a year and a half from now. So the tail of depreciation is longer on a global pop song yeah. than it would be on a domestically consumed song such as country music. But country music is being consumed a bit more. I know, uh, like, you know, I just heard about the success of some of the country performances that just happened like last week in the O2 arena in yeah. the UK. So that's promising yeah. to know that maybe we'll get some international consumption on country. Yeah. But, you know, that remains to be seen. Well, cool, man. Well, what's next for you? I'm just plugging away, you know. At some point, I might wind up pivoting to become a buyer of music publishing. Yeah. Um, but right now, um, I'm, I'm selling catalogs. I have a considerable amount of clients right now that I'm working on and, and, uh, you know, just trying to, trying to help, you know, I always feel like it's not even for the money as much as it is knowing that I'm getting the best possible deal in the marketplace at that time for that client. And to me, that's a missing void, I think in the, in the, in the, in the scope of, of these types of deals. Yeah. You know, um, you know, I want full, if I'm selling something, I want it to go to every possible person out Absolutely. there. And some of these are independent buyers who are just looking. You know, I get hit up every once in a while by a new party that's wanting to buy music publishing assets that nobody knew was out there looking. Yeah. And, you know, now that I've built up a reputation of really being a guy who brings quality stuff to the table, it's, it's you know, it, it's, it's been a, you know, that's been my focus. That's what I yeah. do every day of my life um, when I get off. When I get off of this podcast, I'm going to go back on the grind and, you know, show some more people some of the catalogs that I have and, 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 and try to get my clients the best possible deal. Well, how would somebody you know? get a hold of you? Um, my LinkedIn is what I promote okay. quite a bit. Um, I'm a bit under the radar. Uh, obviously not now with a podcast, but <laughs> I, 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 you know, I'm not a big flaunter. Yeah. I, I don't, I'm pretty humble about this stuff, you know, um, and I should I should say that kind of it, this might contradict that, but you know naturally I have to promote myself sure. to some extent. Yeah. Um, but I don't really take out press releases yeah. on things. If my if my if a buyer does and they want to mention my company name, I'm all about it. Right. Um, but I'm not going to go out there and hit the PR newswire with yeah. my own press release because that's that I'm, I'm just not I'm not built like that. I so don't have to do that from consulting LLC. Mm-hmm. Two M's? Yes. I always make a, a nickname. And I'm not related to the Georgia Bulldogs guy. Everyone <laughs> always asks me, you related to Jake Fromm? I'm like, nah. No. Unfortunately. Because well, he's, he's, pretty, he's pretty good. He's doing pretty good. <laughs> well, awesome, man. Thank you, Andrew. Thanks, I really buddy. enjoyed this, man. I appreciate it. Let's go get a Stout Burger. Absolutely. <laughs> See you. <ya. laughs>